So I want to take you back to a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about um, Charles Fillmore and his regular habit of sitting in silence. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how he came to this place of understanding unity principles. And the thing that he did was he just sat down. But he didn't do it willy-nilly. He sat down at the same time every day. And I talked about his meditation time and his prayer time in the context of wisdom during that service. We've covered faith in January and strength in February and wisdom last month. And this month we're on to love, as you can see from the posters. And Ginny Favala did that poster of love, which I think is especially beautiful. She does a beautiful job with that. So this month we're going to talk about the power of love. And I, and I talked about Charles Fillmore sitting in silence and in prayer as part of wisdom. But as I thought about that, it occurred to me that what he was really doing was an act of love. What he was really doing was loving his desire to know God or spirit or, or, or insight so much that he was willing to take the time and effort to sit down and still his mind and open his heart and hear what spirit had to say to him and find the divine inside of him. It was really an act of love. And as I was thinking about the fact that his regular routine, his regular ritual was an act of love, I came across a reading, I came across a story that was another act of love, and it involves a little girl and her grandfather. And I want to share that story with you. It's from My Grandfather's Blessings by Rachel Naomi Raymond, who is a medical doctor and who grew up uh, Jewish. And she writes a beautiful piece about a regular time when she met with her grandfather every Friday afternoon. Has anybody read this book, My Grandfather's Book? Oh, a number of you, yeah. Isn't it beautiful? It's a beautiful book, huh? Yes. So this is called Blessing. On Friday afternoons, when I would arrive at my grandfather's house after school, the tea would already be set on the table. My grandfather had his own way of serving tea. There were no teacups, no saucers, or or bowls of sugar or honey. Instead, he poured the tea directly from the silver samovar into a drinking glass. There had to be a teaspoon in the glass first, otherwise the glass being thin might break. My grandfather did not drink his his tea in the same way that the parents of my friends did either. He would put a cube of sugar between his teeth and drink the hot tea straight from the glass. So would I. So would I. I much preferred drinking tea this way to the way I had to drink tea at home. After we finished our tea, my grandfather would set two candles on the table and light them. Then he would have a word with God in Hebrew. Sometimes he'd speak out loud, others he'd close his eyes and be quiet. I knew then he was talking to God in his heart. I would sit and wait patiently because the best part of the week was coming. The best part of the week was coming. When Grandpa finished talking to God, he'd turn to me and say, Come, Neshumalei. Then I would stand in front of him, and he would rest his hand lightly on the top of my head. 
And he would begin by thanking God for me. He'd begin by thanking God for me. And then he'd thank God that I got to be his, grand, his grandpa, I mean her grandpa. And for making him my grandpa. He would begin by thanking God for me and for making him my grandpa. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. He would specifically mention my struggles during the week and tell God something about me that was true. Each week, I'd wait to find out what that was. <laughs> yes. If I had made mistakes during the week, he'd mention my honesty in telling the truth. If, if I had failed, he would appreciate how hard I tried. If I had taken even a short nap without my nightlight, he would celebrate my bravery and sleeping in the dark. Yes. Then he would give me his blessing and ask the long-ago women I knew from his many stories, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, and Leah, to watch over me. Isn't that beautiful? These few moments were the only time in my week when I felt completely safe and at rest. The only time when I felt completely safe and at rest. My family of physicians and health professionals were always struggling to learn more and to be more. It seemed there was always more to know. It was never enough. If I brought home a 98 on my test, my father would say, and where did the other two points go? Right? I pursued those two points relentlessly in my childhood. But my grandfather did not care about such things. For him, I was already enough. For him, I was already enough. And somehow, when I was with him, I knew with absolute certainty that this was so. My grandfather died when I was seven. I'd never lived in a world without him in it before. And it was hard for me. He looked at me as no one else had and called me by a special name, Neshumale, which means beloved little soul. Beloved little soul. There was no one left to call me this anymore. At first, I was afraid that without him to see me, and tell God who I was, I might disappear. Yes, right? But slowly, over time, I came to understand that in some mysterious way, I began to see myself through his eyes. I had learned to see myself through his eyes, and that once blessed, we are blessed forever. Once blessed, we are blessed forever. You see, there was no way she could not remember that. There was no way to forget that. Many years later, when in her, in her extreme old age, my mother surprisingly began to light candles and talk to God herself, I told her about these blessings and what they had meant to me. She smiled at me sadly, and she said, I have blessed you every day of your life, Rachel, but I did not have the wisdom to say it out loud. So let's, let's play. So Rachel Raymond has created a little world for us in that snapshot. So let's play around in it for a few minutes, okay? What, what do you notice first about this story is that it's, it's ritualistic, isn't it? And rituals help us to be oriented. In a world that is often confusing, in a world that is often bruising and difficult, that has both joys and sorrows, in a world where we don't always know where we fit, in a world where even if we're grown up, we sometimes fear that we might disappear. These special times with someone who can see the beauty in us, these special times that are carved out of our normal routines, 
These help to orient us. These help to, rem help to remind us of our divine self, of the beauty within us. Now, I bet that not many of you, if any of you, uh, do Shabbat services on Friday night with two candles speaking in Hebrew. Maybe your rituals are different. It might be that you go to a park, and you go to a park every Thursday at 6 o'clock, and you promise to notice the trees and the squirrels. Or maybe you have a ritual of reading to your children at bedtime and being fully present with both the story and with your child. Or maybe there are other rituals that you do. But somehow, in a world that's full of pressure and difficulty and those two extra points on the exam that you just have to get right, somehow in all of that, there needs to be time where there's someone like Rachel's grandfather, where you can remind yourself of the beauty within you and your place in the universe of things. What else do we know about this? Well, he would speak a word in Hebrew, right? He would light the candles. There were particular things, specific things, that helped set the table, that let Rachel know that she was special and that what was going on was special. I told you, uh, uh, I think I told you before that Ariana and Robin and a few others of us went to Denver a few months ago to see Ibu Patel, who is a young Muslim scholar, and he heads up the Interfaith Youth Corps. He teaches college kids about um, the importance of pluralism and religious diversity in America. And he told a story about his child who goes to a Catholic school and how his child would come home and he was like, the child would say, religious education at the mosque is killing me. It's killing me. I don't ever want to go back there. I'm bored to death. Please do not make me go back to religious education, which, of course, pains my heart to hear as somebody who works with children and youth, but it's, <laughs> it's not the first time a child has said that. So he said it ne religious education did not hit home for his child until he went to a friend's birthday party. And his little friend was Jewish. And on the birthday, at the birthday party, all these people said to the little boy, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. You know, here's to you, here's to life, here's to, here's to your development. And other things in Hebrew. And so the little boy went to his daddy and was like, what are you going to say on my birthday that's special? And Ibu Patel was like, well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say happy birthday. You know, because he lives in Chicago, you know? I mean, that's what you say in Chicago. <laughs> and so, and the little boy was like, no, no, no. What are you going to say that will be special for me? What will you say that will be special for me? And so, Ibu Patel remembered there was a, there was a, in his religious tradition, there was a phrase that people would say. And he said it. And the little boy's eyes got big and he said, oh, we say that at the mosque in religious education. Finally, it came to life for him because his dad said, here's something special we'll say for you uh, on your birthday. So there's something unique and powerful about these rituals and these times away. 
And then what, what, what a beautiful part of love. This whole thing is an act of love, right? I mean, do you see how this, this time on Friday afternoon with her grandpa is an act of love? The whole thing is loving. But so much of love is wrapped up in a sense of gratitude. He would put his hand lightly on top of my head, and he would begin by thanking God for me and for making him my grandpa. So he's teaching her how to express a spirit of gratitude and gratefulness and letting her know that she is special. And then, I love it, when, when the time comes, he would mention my struggles during the week and tell God something about me that was true, and I would wait to hear that, what that was. Right? And he would say some word of affirmation. You've slept, you slept in your nap without a nightlight, and it was beautiful. Or you tried so hard on that test, and you tried so hard in your soccer game. If you've ever been to a seven-year-old soccer game, you know the power of words of affirmation. <clears throat> My uncle is Gary Chapman, and I think I've mentioned that he wrote a book on love languages. And I, I, I'm hoping that Connie will do a workshop and a class on the five love languages. But my uncle wrote this book about love languages. And he said that um, often in his 40 years of ministry, he saw that couples would express love, but they'd express it in a way that sometimes didn't mean anything to their beloved. To their beloved. And so he decided that if we could... Um, be really attentive to how the other person receives love and how we give love, that it might make our relationship stronger. So he says that there are, um, that some people receive love by receiving gifts or physical touch or, um, uh, you know, quality time, words of affirmation, quality time. And, um, you know, my guess is from reading the story that Rachel is a quality time kind of person because her grandpa was fully attentive to her in that moment. And, um, or that she's a words of affirmation person because there is nothing but words of affirmation. And then what does love do for us? When somebody loves us into being, what does she say? I felt completely safe and at rest. The rest of the time I felt pressure. The rest of the time I felt this, this drive to succeed. The rest of the time I felt you know, stressed out, tense, not good enough. But there, in that moment, when someone loves you, you can be fully who you are, right? When you love yourself, you can be fully who you are. Beloved little soul. I mean, I think we should all say that to ourselves, don't you? I mean, the grandpa said it to the little girl. But what if we said to ourselves, beloved little soul, Today is a new day. The story includes death and change. When Grandpa died, she didn't know if she would disappear or not. She didn't know if she would have anybody who could help her see that she was special and unique. Until what? Until she realized that everything that her grandfather had taught her and affirmed in her she could see without his prompt. So she's grieving his loss, but she's grateful 
for new eyes to see. And then I think this is the, the most important part of that story, and this is where we'll wrap up. Years later, when my mother started lighting candles and saying prayers, Ra Rachel said, oh, you know, grandfather used to do this, and he would bless me. He would bless me. And she said, every day I blessed you. I just forgot. I forgot to tell you. I forgot to say it out loud. So I think as we begin our month on, on love, I think the takeaway from this story is if there is somebody in your life that you love, tell them. Nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. Nobody knows if you'll be able to see them ever again or not. So don't be shy about sharing love with those you love and with yourself as well. She said, I've blessed you every day. I just forgot to tell you. This week I, I sat with some, some colleagues, ministerial colleagues and friends, and I shared with them that I have a hard time opening up and being vulnerable and letting my guard down. And um, after I told them that, one of them said, then tell me a story, that, tell us a story that would be hard for you to tell. And I looked around and I said, okay, this is a safe place. I can tell this story. And I told them about going back in the summer of 1992, going, leaving Washington, D.C., and going back to Galesburg, Illinois, where my sisters lived with their husbands and, and children. And I went to visit my sisters, and my parents were there. My mom and dad were there. Now, my mom and dad in retirement, they, um, they were puppeteers. They lived in Indiana at the time, but they would go through the Midwest and do puppet shows in elementary schools. And um, they loved stories, too. And, um, and so they came down to be with me and my sisters. They had an RV, and they would drive that RV around to the schools to show the puppet shows. And... Um, and uh, my dad, I, I, maybe he knew he was sick, I'm not sure, but he wanted to set my mom up with a house close to my sisters and their kids. And so in only the way that my dad could pull these kinds of things off, he saw an advertisement in a local paper, we'll trade house for RV. Like, right? I know, how does that work? So that's what he did, that's what he did. In the spring of 1992, he traded his RV and he got a house close to my sisters. And he was so proud, and, and my mom, they were so proud to show me that before I went back to D.C. So during that vacation in the summer of 92, that was the last thing we did. We went to see that house that he had gotten for my mom. And we said our goodbyes, and I got in the car to drive back to D.C. to my job there. And... Um, a couple of miles down the road, I decided to go to the 7-Eleven to get a soda for the long ride home. And as I got out, I saw that my parents were there. They had followed me. They had followed me. And they wanted to give me one more I love you. They wanted to give me one more goodbye. They wanted to give me one more hug. And I told that story, and I, and I was so grateful for that because that was the last time I saw my dad well. 
And that opportunity to get one more hug meant everything to me. And everything to me. I think about it every day. Right? So the point is, friends, if there's somebody in, this, in your world that you love, tell them. And tell them again. And tell them again. Including yourself. Blessings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>